This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. All right, this morning I want you to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 10. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. And just read three verses in Matthew, chapter 10. Verses 29 to 31. And Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. I think that if I was to sum up this these three verses to you, uh, I think the, the implication and the inference of them, uh, I think it would sum it up in this way, that God is a God of the detail. He's a God of incredible detail. Nothing escapes his all-seeing, all-knowing eye. He who numbers the stars numbers our steps. He who sees every sparrow that falls sees every tear that drops. Thank you, Lord. He who counts the numbers of the hairs of her head counts the numbers of her days, and every one of them is precious in his sight. And so God is a God of detail, knows every single detail of our lives. He knows the end even from the beginning. Now, in Luke chapter 8, if you could turn to this with me, please. Luke chapter 8, reading from verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. And with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. The tormentor is now going to be tormented. I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? He said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. Now, certain, certain, now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountains. And so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. And when those who fed them saw that what had happened... 
They fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They also, and, they, and they also who had seen it and told them by what means he, had, he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into a boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house, and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. This man was in an unbelievably terrible state. He was absolutely tormented night and day and demented. Mark tells us that he cried night and day among the tombs. There's times that the townspeople would capture him and they would bind him with chains, but he would snap them like twigs. Such was the supernatural strength that he had from these demonic spirits that had inhabited him to a terrible extent. This was some mother's son. Perhaps he was a a father to a family, a husband to a wife. Perhaps at one time he had a business, certainly was a good citizen. But something happened, we don't know what or when or how, but the door was opened for these evil spirits to come in and take absolute possession over this man. And from that moment, and it was a long time, but from that moment forward, he was a different person. He was absolutely controlled and driven by these evil spirits. His personality completely and utterly changed. And he became an unclean man. And he was naked. Uh, There didn't seem to be any shame. Poor man perhaps didn't even realize the state he was in. But night and day, he was actually, Mark says, he was cutting himself with stones. Such was the torment in his mind and in his spirit. But Jesus, whether he knew in his spirit about this man or whether his voice when he was crying, the wind cried all over the way of the Sea of Galilee, but Jesus heard this man's cries. And he had compassion on him. And he made that special journey to the other side. Whenever Gary and I was uh, in Israel there in January, and we were on that boat in the Sea of Galilee, I, I kept looking over to the country of the Gadarenes, and I kept thinking about this poor man and how he was crying, how his voice may have resounded around the whole lake, and certainly the whole village knew about it, and the whole community knew about this man, and were frightened of him. But Jesus had compassion, and he made the journey, and he got to the man, and the evil spirits knew immediately who he was. Uh, And they knew that their time was up. And the only thing concerned them was, (laughs) don't put us into the abyss. Don't put us into that place where we'll be locked forever in a day. At the very least, let us go into the swine that are feeding. Demons need embodiment to manifest themselves fully. And so Jesus permitted, whether those Gadarenes were Jews or not, sure if they were, they certainly no business feeding swine. 
And so he permitted that, and immediately they drove those pigs down into the Sea of Galilee where they were drowned. But Jesus released this man. With just a word, the man was set free from all of those years, from all of that torment, from all of that shame, from all of that humiliation, from all of that fear and anxiety. He was set free from that. And the Bible tells us clearly when they came to see him, he was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. He was sitting for the first time in years, his spirit was at peace. No longer driven. No longer tortured. No longer running in the wilderness, but sitting at peace in his heart. What a feeling that must have been for that poor man. For the first time in years, he actually felt peace. And not only that, it was the peace of God in his very spirit. And then it says he was in his right mind. All of those tormenting thoughts, all of those voices in his head, all of those fears, all of those anxieties, all of that nonsense that was going on in his mind continually. No wonder the man couldn't sleep. And suddenly, in a moment, he was free. He was released. And he was at rest in his mind. But I love the next bit. And they find him sitting clothed and in his right mind. The God of the detail. <coughs> this man would have to go back to his family, to his community, to his friends. He had been ostracized. He had been disenfranchised. He had been marginalized. But he'd have to go back. But Jesus didn't want him to go back ashamed and humiliated. And now that he's in his right mind, now that he can see himself, now that he must have been highly embarrassed at the state he was in, his hair had probably gone long, his beard was tangled, he was probably dirty. And Jesus wanted him to go back, but he wanted him to be clothed. He wanted to hide that shame and that humiliation of this poor man. He wanted to go back to his family looking the best he could look under the circumstances he had found himself. God is a God of the detail. He cares about every detail of our lives. And thank God when we get saved, God clothed us with his righteousness and all the shame of our sin was gone. And he clothed us in his robes of righteousness that we could be different and we could be the people he wanted us to be. God is a God of incredible detail. There's nothing that he misses in our lives. He cares about every single thing. In John chapter 19, <coughs> Jesus is on the cross. He's suffering. 
He's being crucified. But the evening before this, he had spent some time with his disciples at the Passover meal. This would be his last Passover with them. And he poured out his heart to them. Things that concerned him concerning them. And he told them things that would happen. He knew that his hour had come. He knew that very soon within hours, he would be crucified on a Roman cross. And so he pours out his heart to them. It's a, we need to read often that portion of Scripture that talks about that Last Supper and see what was on his heart before he went to the cross. And then after that meal and that time together that evening, he took them into the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he prayed in agony. He knew what was ahead. He knew what was coming. Lord, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then he woke up his disciples and he said, Arise, the betrayer is at hand. The one who at the Last Supper, in the midst of that, went out into the darkness of the evening to betray him, to (laughs) the biggest act of betrayal and treachery the world has ever known. Even to the point where 2,000 years later, Judas is synonymous with treachery and betrayal. And Jesus went to that familiar spot in the Garden of Gethsemane where he knew that Judas would know exactly where he was. Arise, the betrayer is at hand, and I'm sure they could have heard him and saw the flickering of the torches, and he came with the, with the temple guard and with a, a cohort of Roman soldiers with swords and spears. It must have been a frightening moment for the disciples. And Jesus was calm. He knew what was happening. And so they came and they, he gave him the Judas kiss. And betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss. What a moment that was. And then they took him. And they took him to Annas, the high priest, who had been the previous high priest. And now his son-in-law, Caiaphas, was the current high priest. But they took him first to old Annas. And there he questioned him regarding his doctrine and his disciples. And when Jesus answered him, then one of the guards slapped him across the face and says, Answerest thou the high priest so? He said, Well, what have I done? What harm have I done? What's wrong with what I said? And they spat upon him and they beat him. And then they sent him bound to Caiaphas. And Caiaphas by that time had gathered together a kangaroo court. It wasn't a legal court by any manner of means. They broke all of the rules, but they already had made up their mind what they were going to do anyway. So this was just a formality. And they got together people to lie, to bring false accusation. And they did. And whenever Jesus admitted to them, because he asked them, he admitted to them that he was the Son of God. And then they cried out, this is blasphemy. What need we of any further? Let's, let's deal with him now. He's blasphemous. And again, they spat upon him and they slapped him and beat him. And they took him to Pilate. 
And whenever they took him to Pilate early that morning, Pilate knew that these religious Jews were up to no good. As soon as he began to talk to Jesus, he knew that Jesus was an innocent man. He really didn't want to get involved. He says, you deal with it. you, You know the Jewish laws. You deal with it, but they were having none of it. They were having none of it. And so he talked to Jesus, and he questioned him. And he asked him things. And why, why are they bringing you to me? What have you done? Why are your people against you? This, this was a line of questioning. And he could see that Jesus was innocent. He could see these charges were trumped up. He could see all of that. But he himself was caught in a trap because he really had two strikes against him with Rome. One more strike and he was out. And so he had to play it very carefully. And then when he heard that Jesus was from Galilee, he breathed a sigh of relief. Ah, Galilee, that's where Herod, that's Herod's jurisdiction. I'll send them off to Herod, let him deal with it. And Herod, we know, according to the scriptures, was glad to see Jesus. He had wanted a long time to see him and meet him in the flesh, hoping that he would do some miracle, some magic trick for him. <laughs> that's what he thought. But Jesus answered him, not a word. And they mocked him. And he put a robe upon him. Because this was the big joke, the king of the Jews. They sent him back to Pilate. And Pilate questions him again. Again and again. Brings him out before the people. And says, look, you have a custom this time of the year to release a prisoner onto you. Well, I release Barabbas unto your Jesus, your king, the king of the Jews. And they shouted, release Barabbas unto us. This thief, this murderer, this insurrectionist, let's have him instead of Jesus. And Pilate was amazed that they would do that. So in one last attempt, he took Jesus and he had him flogged. Flogging was brutal. It was horrific. Many people died at the flogging post. They would strip a man. They would tie him to post. A Roman soldier would take a cut of nine tails and the leather straps would have bits of metal and bone and they would begin to hit the back and the sides and the legs and lumps of flesh would be coming out of the body. Sometimes the vital organs would even be uh, uncovered. Such was the brutality of this. Many died under that, but Jesus didn't. It shows you the strength that Jesus had. Remember, he's tired, he's weary, he's been up all day, he's been up all night. Now he's being whipped and he's being flogged, and he has this garment on, and then the <laughs> those soldiers, that wasn't enough. They began to have sport with him and they plaited a crown of thorns and they pressed it on his head and they put a reed in his hand and then they took the reed out of his hand and beat him over the head with the reed and they mocked and bowed down before him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they brought him out to Pilate again and Pilate brought him out before the people, maybe hoping that when they saw this man and the state he was in, maybe, maybe, maybe they would have some compassion and say enough is enough, that's enough. But no. No, they wanted him crucified, and they shout, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate says, okay. And they led him away, and you know what happened? He was carrying his cross, and now he's exhausted. He's tired, he's weary, he's hurting. And they got Simon to carry his cross. And they brought him to the hill Calvary. 
and they put nails on his hands and his feet and they put him upon that Roman cross. And now hours has passed and then there's three hours of darkness and he's dying. He's coming to his last breath. Pain is searing through his body. I'm sure his brain he thought was about to burst. Getting air into your lungs, being crucified was horrible. It was the most wicked, brutal execution ever devised by man. And right there and then, at the worst possible time, when he was hurting the most, the God of the detail, there's two things he must do. (coughs) And one of them is this. Verse 25 of John 19. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Moments before he died, almost in his last breath, the thing that greatly concerned him was his mother standing there. John standing with her. The only one of the disciples that would not be martyred, who had lived into his 90s to take care of Jesus' mother. Mary, the God of the detail, in the midst of his agony and the searing pain, he remembered his mother. What compassion, what thoughtfulness, what selflessness. But there's one more detail. There's one more detail before he cries, it is finished. (coughs) Verse 28, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. There's one more scripture to be fulfilled. Many has been fulfilled, but there's one more. That the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. A vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. And they, filled it, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up spirit. That the scripture might be fulfilled. He cried, I thirst. The God of the detail. In Psalm 69, Psalm that's repeatedly spoken of in the New Testament. Verse 19, you know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. As for comforters, I found none. Listen to this verse. 
They also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst. They gave me vinegar or sour wine to drink. It's interesting, you know, that gall was something that would deaden pain. And right at the beginning of his crucifixion, in Matthew's gospel, they offered him gall and sour wine, and he refused it. He took the full penalty of pain for our sins. But here, in order to fulfill Scripture, sure he was thirsty. He hadn't had a drink since the day before. He must have been dehydrating into the bargain. But he didn't take the drink just because he was thirsty, but that the Scripture might be fulfilled. The God of the detail, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. If Jesus was going to fulfill everything to the T, to the letter, this Scripture must be fulfilled. And then it goes on to say in Psalm 69, let their table become a snare before them and their well-being a trap. You see, Satan wanted to destroy Jesus. And he wanted to destroy him in the most brutal way he possibly could. And he mustn't be stoned. He must be pierced, according to Psalm 22. Another scripture, there's a load of them in Psalm 22. It's a messianic psalm where he fulfills every single one of them. But here's one more. And it had to be fulfilled. This could not be left out. Before he could say, it is finished, this had to be done. And this was the trap for the devil. And the trap was about to be sprung. If the enemy had known Psalm 69, the way Jesus knew it, he could have stopped that, but he didn't. <laughs> God set a trap for him. And the trap was very simple. He cried out, I thirst. I thirst. And they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it in hyssop, and he put it to his mouth. And in that moment, that psalm written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before was fulfilled in that very hour. Then, and only then, could he say, it is finished. The God of the detail. He knows every single thing about us. He knows every need that we have, every pain that we bear, every anxious thought that's in our mind, everything that concerns us concerns him. In 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah the Tishbite, the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Kareth, which flows from the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. 
So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Kirith, which flows from the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. How long he was there, we don't know. Weeks, months, <coughs> but a reasonable length of time. But as the Lord commanded those ravens, they brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. He was able to have a drink from the brook. But then the brook dried up. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. That must have been music to his ears. James says Elijah was a man of like passion such as we are. He was a human being with feelings and emotions and thoughts. And whenever he heard that God had commanded a widow woman to provide for him, I, I, if it had been me, I'm, obviously I'm a far cry from Elijah, but if it had been me, and I guarantee if it had been you, you'd have thought, oh, wonderful. A widow is going to provide for me. She must be well off. She must be well healed. She must be well to do. Happy days. Yes, these ravens were faithful. Yes, they brought me meat in the morning and the evening. Thank God. Yes, God's word was true. But do you know what? You get a bit tired of that every day from these dirty birds, these ravens. So, a widow is going to provide for me. Remember, we're talking about the God of the detail here. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. Well, that's not a very encouraging start, is it? And he called to her and said, Please, bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. <coughs> so she, she, see, she said, Better get these teeth fixed. As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, a little oil in a jar, and see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. So much for a widow will provide for me in Zarephath. She's Stony Brook. Not only that, she's down to her last meal. She sees no light at the end of this tunnel. She sees no hope whatsoever for her and her son. She has resigned herself to eating one more meal and then slowly starving to death. That's what she thought. Now, can I just throw out a little thought to you? God could have had a thousand ways to feed his servant. We know that because he gave them ravens to, to, to take care of them. So he, he could have thought of a thousand ways to do this. 
Well, he sends them to this woman who's about to have her last bite. I kind of think that God is doing this not even so much for Elijah's sake, but for her sake. He knew Elijah would believe him for anything. He'd already proven that. But here was this little woman. This widow was about to eat her last bite. And Elijah made all that journey from Kareth to Zarephath and Sidon to meet that woman that day at that hour when she's down to her very last meal. And God's about to provide for her as well as his servant. Elijah said, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterwards, make some for yourself and your son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went and way and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. And the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah, the God of the detail. Yes, his servant was taken care of. But yes, that little widow woman, <laughs> that little widow woman, down to her last bite, God saw her. And in his grace and in his mercy, he fed her until the rains fell. If God sees a little widow woman in Zarephath, and if God sees that she is down to her last bite, what does he not see about you and me today? Every detail of our lives. Jesus in Mark 12 is standing. <laughs> He's in the temple. He's in the section where the women are. That's where the treasury is. There's those 13 trumpet-shaped bowls laid out for people to put their offerings in. And Jesus is standing close by. He's close enough to see what they had in their hand. Hmm? It'd be a bit embarrassing if the offering was taken this morning and I can write down and look over every one of your hands. Say, let me see what you just put in there. You wouldn't be best pleased, would you? But Jesus was standing watching. And the little widow woman comes with her two little copper coins. In monetary terms, it was as, it was as nothing. The lowest monetary unit she had in her hand. It's nothing lower than the two mates. And she puts them into the treasury. And Jesus called his disciples. He says, look, all those who had plenty, they put in of their abundance, but she put in everything she had. Even those two mites. It's all she had in the world. And she gave them to the kingdom of God. 
They put in of their wealth, she put in of her want. They put in of their surplus, but for her it was a sacrifice. And Jesus saw the sacrifice. And he saw her heart. He saw what she had on her hand, but he saw what she had on her heart. And because what was in her heart made her release what was in her hand, he was so pleased. He was thrilled. He called his disciples. He gave them an object lesson in true sacrificial giving. He's the God of the detail. He knows everything we do. He knows every penny we give. He knows the times when it's hard to do, when it's really tough. There's times we do it unthinkingly. We just do it. We're accustomed to it, and that's wonderful. But there's times when it's a real hard sacrifice. God sees that, and he's well pleased. And that little story of the widow encourages us that he's a God of the detail. It may not look much, but it's the best you've got. It's big in God's sight. It really is. A millionaire could throw in a million pounds beside you and you could put in your last pound. But if it's your last and it's all you've got, God is more pleased with that than he is with a millionaire's million. He's a God of the detail today. Peter says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Not some of it, not most of it, but all of it. Do we actually do that? Do I do that? Do you do that? Or do we hold some back and say, well, there's that bit there. I need to worry about that. I need to be really anxious about that. No, no, all of her care upon him, for he cares for us. He cared about the widow's bread. He cared about the widow's oil. He cared about the widow's son. He cared about the widow's might. He's a God of the detail. He cared about Peter's temple tax. He cared about that young couple at the marriage feast of Cana. He cared about the hungry multitude that had to be fed. He cares about your rent that's due, your mortgage that needs to be paid. He cares about all of those things, your family concerns, your health issues. He's concerned about your hopes and your dreams and your wishes and your aspirations. He's concerned about all of those things. And the same God who stretched out the heavens like a curtain, who flung the stars in space, who hung the world upon nothing, who counts the numbers of the hairs of your head, who sees every spire that falls, is the same God who cares about every detail of your life today. Nothing escapes his attention. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made in Psalm 139. And he didn't know the half of it. He didn't have a microscope to peer through. He didn't know about her blood cells. He didn't know about the billions of atoms that make up her body. He didn't know about any of that. But what he did know, and what he could see, and what he did understand, he says, we're fearfully and we're wonderfully made. He didn't know about the incredible DNA that we've only found about in, in recent times, literally. He didn't know about any of that that makes up our whole physical being. 
the color of her eyes, the color of her hair, the length of her legs, and everything, size of her ears and her nose, everything is wrapped up in that coat. That God has got another DNA for us. It's a spiritual DNA. It's a blueprint for our lives. And no one else can live your life. No one else can walk your walk. No one else can fulfill God's plan for your life. God has got an incredible detailed plan for every single day of your life. (laughs) Not just for time, but also for eternity. The psalmist, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Paul all said that God knew us before we were even in our mother's womb. (laughs) Before we were even born, God had a detailed blueprint for our lives. He found a wife for Isaac. He found a husband for Ruth. He gave Hannah that long-for child. And he brought to Simeon and Anna the Messiah that they both had looked for for all those years. He's the God of the detail. And right now today, where we are, where we sit, where we stand today, he knows every detail. He knows all the things that's been fulfilled and he knows all the things that has yet to be fulfilled. He knows all of his plans that are unfolding. He sees all the things that we have walked in and walked through but he sees ahead and he sees all the mountains and he sees all the valleys but he promises he'll be with us every single step of the way and every single detail of our lives he knows about. That gives me great confidence. That encourages me today. That tells me that my God, the God that saved me, that loves me, His son that died for me has got a wonderful plan for me and he's working it out in my life. That encourages me. That means I can go to bed at night and I can put my head in the pillow and say, God, you love me and you care for me and you're planning for me and you're working the details out in my life. I can trust you. And you can trust him today. Could we stand together, please? I wonder, is there some detail in your life today that you're praying about, you're hoping for, you're dreaming about, you're wishing for? Maybe you're saying, Lord, how long? He knows that detail. He knows every desire of your heart, every hope that you hold dear, He knows about it. So I'm going to pray. And I want you to pray also, not my prayer, but your prayer in your heart. You know the detail. You know the thing that you need the answer for. You know the dream that you want to see fulfilled. You know the hope you're believing for. And he knows it too. So I'm going to pray my prayer for you. But you pray your prayer. Because I don't know the needs that's in your heart. I don't know what you're wishing for. But he knows. And as long as he knows and you know, that's enough. One with God's a majority. (coughs) 
Lord, today I am encouraged that your word shows me that you care for me right down to the very hairs of my head. No one in this world that loves me even would take the bother to count the hairs of my head, but you do. Hallelujah. And everyone is precious in your sight. So Lord, I pray for this congregation today with all of their needs, with all of their hopes, with all of their dreams, with everything, Lord, that is in their heart that they want to see done in their lifetime. Lord, I pray that you will give them the desires of their heart. Lord, if it's according to your will, if it's in line with your word, if it's something that's good and wholesome and right and a blessing, not just for them, but for others around them, I pray, O oh God, that you will bring it to pass in the name of Jesus. Lord, in your time and in your way that only you can do, we're going to trust you and believe you that you will do this to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Lord, bless them. Minister to them. Lord, speak to every heart today and assure and bring confidence and bring that assurance, Lord, that you're on their case. Lord, that you're making crooked paths straight. Lord, that you're making ways where there seems to be no way. Lord, you can do this for your glory. So we give you thanks today. We're going to trust you, Lord. You're a good God. You're a good father. You love your children. You only think the best for us. And we bless you this day in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.